Hi there, it's episode 106. Today, I'm talking with Melody Warnick. Melody and I are talking about putting down roots and falling in love with where you live. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, it's Danae. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're launching off a new topic for the month of May. Today's guest, Melanie Warnick, and her book, This Is Where You Belong, were the inspiration for this month. Today, my conversation with Melody is going to inspire you to embrace your own community. If you're the kind of person who finds yourself lingering on Zillow or browsing over the best cities to live in lists, then I think you're going to like what she has to say. Along with Zoe from Raising Simple, Melody will be joining me in this month's focus group. So if this topic piques your interest, join us at simplefamilies.com forward slash May. For this month, we'll be talking all about how to fall in love with your community and your home. Now a quick word from today's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. I recently had the opportunity to try HelloFresh after sampling a few different meal services, and I have to say that the recipes from HelloFresh were much easier to prepare. All the ingredients came separated by recipe, so I could easily grab the brown recyclable paper bag of ingredients and get started cooking. HelloFresh offers three options. They offer a classic option, a veggie option, and a family option. I chose the family option because those Recipes tend to be quick and easy and things that the whole family will love, and it didn't disappoint. HelloFresh definitely takes the energy and brain power out of meal planning, which I appreciate, and also made it really easy for me to cook with my kids. I loved the visual recipes with the pictures of each step. My four-year-old could easily follow along with me. So give HelloFresh a try. You can go to HelloFresh.com and use the promo code SF30, as in Simple Families 30 and enter promo code SF30. So again, to get $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit hellofresh.com forward slash SF30 and enter SF30 for your promo code. Back to today's episode. My guest for today, Melody, has a story that resonates with my own. She and her family have moved many times and have always had a grass is greener on the other side philosophy. That is until she made her most recent move to Blacksburg, Virginia. And even though she didn't fall in love with Blacksburg right away, she found a way to do it. Melody started investigating and researching something called place psychology, which she's going to share with us today. In a nutshell, it's the idea of putting down roots and what connects us to the places that we live. We'll be spending all of May on Simple Families talking about loving where you live. Not just your community, but finding gratitude and contentment in your home and creating spaces that not only do the adults love, but the kids love too. So please go to simplefamilies.com forward slash May and join the discussion with us. Now on to today's interview. Hi, Melody. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks for having me, Danae. Melody, I heard about your book, um, it was probably a year or so ago when my family was preparing for a move and we were living in Dallas and my close group of friends in Dallas were all transplants and we were all always talking about moving and this book picked up some buzz among my friends because we were sort of similarly like-minded. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to write this book, This Is Where You Belong. So your situation was 
probably pretty similar to my situation. Um, it seemed like everywhere I lived, I was living among transplants, people who were moving around a lot. And that had been my story. I grew up in Southern California and never moved a single time. The first 18 years of my life lived even in the same house until I went away to college. But then at the end of college, I got married and my husband and I got jobs on the East Coast, you know, thousands of miles from where we'd ever lived before. And so we moved. And then three years later, my husband got a new job and we moved again across the country. And then, you know, we went to grad school and moved again and then got a new job. So every uh, about three and a half years we were moving and these were pretty big moves, you know, like from Utah to Maryland to Iowa to Texas. Um, and every time we'd move, we'd think, you know, this is it. <laughs> we're going to stay here. This is our new home. We're going to love it. And then, you know, a few years later, it just it didn't feel like it was working out. And I always had in the back of my mind, there's some place better out there for me. You know, if I can just find the right town, everything in my life will be better. Everything will make sense. I will be a, a better, smarter, wealthier person, whatever. Um, so in 2012, my husband got a job in Blacksburg, Virginia working at Virginia Tech, the university here. We'd never been here, but moved here thinking, you know, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> you know, we finally found Mayberry. It's this small town of, you know, about 43,000 people, a college town in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I just was expecting that this was going to make, you know, all my life good. We're just going to sit on the porch and we're going to know all our neighbors and, you know, we're going to plant a vegetable garden, whatever. It's going to be great. And and then we moved and I was like, oh, yeah, moving is terrible. <laughs> it's like the most difficult and, you know, according to research, one of the most stressful experiences we can have in our lives. And this town that I had conjured up in my imagination where everyone would instantly be my friend um, and want to hang out with me didn't materialize the way I expected. You know, this was magical thinking. I had just kind of imagined this place that would really be a great fit for me. And once I got here, I realized, you know, that that wasn't the town I had ended up with. So pretty quickly, I started, you know, as someone who had moved around a lot, started thinking the solution to this problem is we're just going to move again. You know, let's just get on realtor.com. We're going to find a new place to go. But, you know, we had just gotten here and my kids had moved around. This was um, my older daughter was in fifth grade at the time, and it was her third elementary school in three states. And I just thought, ah, I need to learn how to be happy here. And it really started me on this journey of trying to find out what does it mean to be rooted in a place? What does it take to put down roots? What has to happen, like very practically speaking? Um, and, and what could I do to make myself happy in a place that didn't really feel like home at the time? So much of that story resonates with me. My family has moved around a lot too. And we are always 
seeking that magic solution, that perfect town, that perfect house. And one of the things that you wrote in the book, I kind of laughed at, but also it resonated with me. And you wrote that when we moved to Blacksburg, I thought everything would be better. I'd meditate, take up gardening, yoga, cook with ingredients like organic bok choy, and completely swear off mindless hours on Facebook. So you were seeing a move, as many of us do, as this sort of uh, reset button. Did you find that to be true, or what? What? Where did your research take you on this? Did you find that most people were experiencing similar similar sentiments around this? Yes, I think definitely that's a common expectation. I hear that from a lot of people who read the book, like, oh, I've felt that exact same way. And there is a little bit of research to say that it can be a good time to press the reset button. You're moving, everything about your life is going to change anyway. And so it can be a good time to instill new habits. But It's also this time where you're thrown out of all your normal routines. It's really stressful. And in some ways, it encourages bad habits because of that. So just a couple weeks ago, my family moved to a new house. So we're still in the same town. We're still in Blacksburg. But we, you know, built a house a mile away from where we used to live and we moved. And I found myself in the lead up to moving, doing this exact same thing again, even though, you know, I've done all the research. I talk about this all the time. I know it's not true. And yet I kept saying things like when we live in the new house, no one's going to leave their towels on the floor. (laughs) And, you know, when we live in the new house, we're going to be clean all the time. And it was just and I would like catch myself and be like, oh, I know that that's probably not true. And in you know, the two and a half weeks that we've been in a new house, it has not proven to be true. There are still towels on the floor. But I think we look to those um, kind of moments of transition in our lives to provide this complete makeover, this total overhaul of our lives. And if we're really dedicated to that, we can probably use it as a push to change a few things but not everything. You know, you're still the person that you are, no matter where you live. You you are taking you with you. And, you know, that sometimes feels unfortunate. Gosh, I wish I could just leave my old self behind and, and be a brand new person because I'm living in a brand new place. But it doesn't tend to work like that. So tell us a little bit more about the idea of place psychology, which is a concept that was completely new to me prior to reading your book. So I realized um, as I sort of dug into this and as background, I've been a freelance writer for, you know, most of my adult life. And so I kind of have this drive that if there's something that's really puzzling me or troubling me, I just, you know, I want to see what the experts said and what, what does the research say about this? And so I started looking at, you know, articles that have been printed in scholarly journals. I was kind of surprised to find that there's this whole field of research around place um, that, you know, broadly, broadly described could be um, said to be place psychology, you know, the psychology of how place affects us and how it um, determines things about our lives. So there was a lot of research out there, you know, going back 
20, 30, 40 years where people tried to draw out that connection between place and where we live and how we behave. Things like, um, you know, the place that you live can determine how much money you make in your life. The place where you live can determine obvious things like what kind of education you get or the people you're friends with or the people you marry, because all of that comes from your local geography, at least most of the time it does. And so the thing that I stumbled on in all this kind of general place research that really resonated with me is this concept of place attachment. So place attachment is the phrase that sociologists and um, scientists use to describe that feeling of rootedness, that feeling of, you know, this is where I belong. This is the place I want to be. Um, and it turns out that although that is kind of a touchy-feely concept, there was a lot of research showing it had broad, powerful effects for your health and happiness. That people who feel place attached, meaning they love where they live, they're happy there, they don't want to move away, they feel like this place has um, relationships that they value, this place gives them meaning, um, they tend to have higher levels of self-esteem, higher levels of social capital, they are healthier when you know people feel attached to where they live, they actually live longer than people who don't. So feeling like you're connected with your place um, and you're happy to be there, you're not just counting down the days till you can move again, actually matters. You know, it's not just like a nice feeling that you can get. It can make um, a genuine huge difference in your life. So I started thinking this is something I needed. You know, this wasn't, it wasn't just enough to say, well, I'll just hang out and, you know, hold on till we move again in a few years. It became, I need to learn to be happy here now. So how long does place attachment take? Is it something that you know in your gut feeling when you move to a new city or is it something that develops after a period of time? That's a great question. And the answer is really both. Sometimes people move and instantly feel a bond with their place. Like, you know, something about it just really clicks for them. Maybe they meet a lot of friends right away and they just instantly feel at home. And sometimes you have that feeling, you know, when you're on vacation or something um, and you start to feel like that's the place I want to be. That's the place that just feels like my place. But often it doesn't happen that way. And there's research that says um, it, it can take about five years for place attachment to peak in a place. So, you know, if you move to a new town and you really don't like it, you know, the good news about that is that that feeling usually will change over time. Place attachment is malleable. You can change it and simply time in a place usually changes it. So it's evolving. So if you just move to a city and you hate it and, you know, you can't believe you ended up there, the the bright side here is that probably, you know, given a few years, your feelings about it will change and your attachment will increase over time. 
That's interesting. So my husband and I have moved quite a bit. We post-college um, moved to D.C. I was in D.C. doing my master's. We spent five years there, and then we moved to Chicago for two years for him to go to school, and then that took us to Dallas, and we lived in Dallas for five years, and when we moved to Dallas, it was a big shift for us because the culture felt very different. We had never lived in the South before, Um, but after spending, so we actually spent four and a half years there, and we, the whole time that we were there, we moved there for my husband's job and for me to do my PhD, and the whole time we were there, we knew we weren't going to stay. So it was just a matter of when are we going to move? How, where are we going to go next? What's, what's our next step? And we were thinking about that constantly. But in the process, we had our kids there and our kids started preschool and we started to feel more place attached, I think, than I realized. And it wasn't until we moved last summer, we relocated to New York, about an hour north of New York City, that I really miss Dallas. I And it's funny because I always thought that this wasn't, that wasn't the place I wanted to be. That wasn't the place that I wanted to stay. But I find myself wishing that I was there again. Right. Like that I think that's such a common experience that places grow on you over time. And sometimes when you're not expecting it, you're not working for it. We did grad school, or I say we, it was my husband, um, got a PhD at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. This was not a place we'd ever been. You know, it's the great flyover. No one's ever been to Iowa, right? You know, unless you're from the Midwest. Um, But we came to really love it. And by the end, when he was graduating, we'd been there six years and we were looking for ways to stay because we'd fallen in love with this town that we had no, you know, no belief that it would be a forever place. We knew from the start, we'd only be there for a limited time. And yet, you know, it became a place that we were really attached to. So sometimes attachment works like that. Especially when we manage to form strong relationships. And I think in your story, the fact that you've had that you had kids there, I imagine that that led to, you know, friendships with other parents and things like that. And you kind of develop this little community and that can be incredibly meaningful to people and it makes it really hard to leave. You know, that's the thing that I've learned about place attachment is that it really comes from creating a sense of meaning um, in in the place that you live. You know, what separates this city from that city is meaning. You know, what's happened to you there, the experiences you've had or the relationships you've developed in your place. And so, you know, that accrues over time. But once you've developed meaning in the place where you're living, that's attachment and it can make it really hard to leave that behind ever. I think I see so much, so much truth in that. And we've now been in our new city for nine months. And the first six months were just really adjusting, really traumatic. And it's funny, as I was enrolling my kids into school, the intake form said in the I think it was maybe in the past year, has your child experienced any major trauma such as death of a parent and moving to a new house? And somehow reading this form gave me validation. It's like, wow, like it is traumatic moving 
can be very traumatic for adults and for children. And I found that I thought my kids were going to adjust really easily and it took a lot longer for them to settle in. How was your experience moving with kids different than just moving before you had your kids? Um, yeah, that that's a great question. And it's interesting to think about how that form equated moving with the death of a loved one, <laughs> because in a way it sort of is, you know, you are leaving behind lots of people that have come to be a part of your tribe, you know, your community. And yes, we all keep in touch on Facebook and, and stuff like that. And that's helpful to have that network spread across the United States now. But, um, you know, in some ways that old part of your life dies and that can be really hard for kids, especially, you know, I think, um, it's been interesting moving with kids and especially young kids, because you think that they're going to be so, you know, resilient that they'll barely notice that we're in a new place, you know, we're going to move their bed and it will just be fine. But kids actually can form really strong attachments excuse me, not just to people, but to familiarity, you know, the familiarity of routines, you know, this is how it looks when we go to the mailbox and this is what we do every day. We go to my preschool and then we, you know, go to the grocery store or whatever. And when you kind of remove them from that sense of familiarity, that safety net that they have, it can be really distressing and, um, discombobulating. Uh, I was reminded of that just moving house a couple weeks ago that, you know, we are products of our routines, you know, our habits and, you know, we know where things are. We do things in a certain order. And when you move, all of that is completely stripped from you for at least a little while. Um, and you know, adults can sort of reason their way around that and they can quickly establish new routines, whatever can take a little while, but we know what's going on. But for kids, it can feel really emotional. There's actually a lot of research showing that kids and especially older kids, adolescents can really struggle with moves for a long time, that it becomes a sort of vulnerable time for, for them when, kids and teenagers are more likely to, you know, kind of fall in with the wrong friends or pick up bad habits. Um, you know, you'll see an increase in drug and alcohol use, their grades, um, sometimes drop. And that's definitely not everyone. You know, I don't mean to scare people who are planning a move this summer with, you know, their teenage kids. I've seen lots of families do it and thrive, <clears throat> but it is a time when, families are, are vulnerable. I think part of the solution to that is you turn to each other. Um, you know, that can be one of the good things that come with a long distance move when you're removed from your, your familiar surroundings and from your social community is that you learn to rely on the family for, strength for support and for socializing because you don't have that in other places for a while. Um, but I think also, you know, for younger kids, it should be a process of really, uh, consciously and proactively helping your little people fall in love with 
this new place as well. You know, not just you while you get settled, while you maybe start a new job or set up your house or whatever, but you need to sort of make a conscious effort to introduce your children to this new place in a, a loving, happy way. I have a friend who's military, you know, her husband's in the army. So they move every few years um, and not always to where they want to go. You know, it's just kind of like you are moving here, go now. But her philosophy about it is, you know, if mom is happy about this move, if mom is super excited to move, talks all the time about how awesome it's going to be and how cool it will be to try all these different things, then the kids kind of pick up on that and might see the move as something exciting instead of traumatic. Um, so that won't solve everything. You know, kids will struggle. They'll miss their friends. They'll miss their school. They'll miss their bedroom. Um, but it may help sort of grease the wheels as you come into a new community. I can definitely see that. One of the things that we found ourselves missing the most is walking. And our old community, we could walk to Starbucks and Whole Foods, and there was just so much within like a half a mile of our house. And now we live in a very rural area. And it's funny, we used to walk just even on walks around our neighborhood every day, my kids and I. And on the weekends, it was our activity because it was so hot in Dallas. Most of the year, it felt like we would wake up at like 7 a.m. and walk to breakfast and back. And that was just our tradition. And we walked all the time from our house. And our new house is... There, there's absolutely nowhere that you can walk to. And actually, the first week that we moved in, we did try to take a walk in our neighborhood. And there was a boy that lives around the corner that was riding a dirt bike and has completely traumatized my son. It was so loud. And it oh my echoed. Gosh. And now he is really, really resistant to taking walks because he's sort of fearful of what else is out there that he doesn't know about. Um, and we live, we live on a big hill. So it's just not... It's, and in your book, you talk about walking and how that the walkability of a place actually affects happiness. And I thought this was interesting. So I looked up the walk scores, which you talk about the walk scores, which is this, um, you can go to the walk score website and figure out what the score, how walkable your house is. And I looked at my walk score of our house in Dallas, and I was surprised that it was only a 50 um, because we felt like we could walk everywhere. But I looked up our walk score at our new house and it's a six, which is pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but can you, what, do you, what can you tell me about walkability and how that affects our happiness in a place? So walkability is one of the things that has a lot of buzz right now because it's so closely associated with livability, how livable a community is. And it's something that more and more people want in where they live from, you know, millennials to baby boomers. People want to feel like they can get somewhere easily on foot. Part of this is that driving is so annoying and driving, you know, being in a place where you have to drive absolutely everywhere or you have a long commute to work can decrease your quality of life and can make you less happy over time. Um, whereas being in a place where you have, um, you know, sort of human uh, powered transportation alternatives can make you feel better. So I think some of the things about walking that make us happy are, you know, simply being in closer contact with 
nature, you know, you're out in the sun, hopefully it's sunny at some point, <laughs> um, and you're experiencing your place at a very human speed. You know, this is not in a car where things are going by at 30 or 40 miles per hour. This is you walking, which allows you to notice your surroundings and sort of um, digest them. I found when I moved um, to Blacksburg, we lived in a really hilly neighborhood. It's kind of a hilly town, but I forced myself to get out and take walks every day for exercise. And because I was on foot, you know, just kind of walking my neighborhood, it's really exploring, you know, this is sort of how you explore your, your neighborhood, your town, your community, and you start to notice things that you wouldn't otherwise. It becomes this really sensory experience where, you know, you're smelling the trees and the flowers. You are, you know, encountering dogs and cats and you're noticing the houses and, you know, the cars and the driveway. And often it gives us a chance to come in some small contact with other people. It sounds like your kids had a bad experience coming into contact with other people on foot, you know, someone who was driving an, an ATV and scared them. But usually, you know, the ideal here is that you come into contact with people in a way that, you know, it's just like kind of casually friendly. You're saying, hi, there's a dog on my walking route. And just because I've, I've passed the dog, I've sort of like had really quick chats with the owner. I know the dog's name is Mango. And so every time I walk past this house and the dog has its little invisible fence and it starts barking at me and I'll say, hey, Mango. And it's so confused. Like, how do you know me? <laughs> what's, what's our relationship here? Um, but I think it's those kinds of little things that sort of pin us in place, you know, that make us feel rooted in, in our, t our town. You know, since I just moved to a new house, I'm establishing new walking routes. And the other day I realized, you know, I can walk to the library. It's, it's closer now. And, you know, I can walk downtown and I'm, I'm finding things that make for a beautiful walk. Like, you know, there are flowers or there are pretty houses that I pass. Um, Jeff Speck is a, an expert who wrote a book ab about walking and walkable cities. And he says, you know, you want walks to be safe, but you also want them to be interesting. You know, you want there to be things to look at. So in your case, you know, and a lot of people live in rural or semi-rural areas where a neighborhood walk just isn't feasible, but there may be someplace else in your town that could become your walking spot. And you may have to drive there, which, you know, probably isn't the very best, but, you know, if you have a park with a walking path or, you know, a canal or a river that has a path alongside it, you can sort of create your walking spot within your city or your town, even if it's not right in your neighborhood. And you can get some of the benefits of that feeling of, of connectedness to your community from, from walking anywhere in your town. 
Yes. And you mentioned that walking allows us this connection to nature. And I found that when we used to walk a lot, that it was actually much easier for me for some reason to get my kids into the stroller than it was to get them into the car. (laughs) So I Mm -hmm. enjoyed just kind of popping them in the stroller and heading out the front door. And they, my daughter, she's two now, and we're just kind of at that age where she like flails every time I try to get her into the car seat. (laughs) So I, I actually dread getting her in and out of the car because I know it's just, it's a battle every single time. And there's something about getting into the stroller that she doesn't mind at all. And I think it might be that it might be that connection to nature that she just enjoys the fresh air and she enjoys being out and about. And I, this is, this is something else that impacts happiness as well as the ability to connect to nature. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And it can be something that also makes us feel disconnected to our place. When I moved to Blacksburg, um, I was, you know, it's kind of this mountainous town and it's very lush and green. And believe it or not, like I hated that at first, you know, I'm, I'm from California and had lived in the Midwest for a while and wasn't used to having these sort of like looming mountains. And it felt really kind of claustrophobic to me. So one of the main things I had to do to feel happier in Blacksburg was learn to get over that. So, you know, when I started thinking about place attachment and I realized that it could be changed, I designed what I called love where you live experiments. And these were things that I did to help me feel more at home in my town. So, you know, one of them was walking more. One of them was, you know, shopping at the farmer's market, eating more local food. But a big one was experiencing nature and experiencing it in a positive way for me. So that, you know, in my town meant going hiking. We're not very far from the Appalachian Trail and there's a lot of hiking paths around here. And I'm you know, not maybe what you would call a super outdoorsy person, but this became part of what I did around here. You know, it's one of the main things to do around here for fun. And so I would grab a friend or a group of friends and we would go hiking often with our kids on, on trails around here. And, you know, I mentioned meaning earlier that when we have positive experiences with people that we like, that creates meaning in our place. That's part of what creates attachment for us, what makes us want to stay in our town. And I found that, you know, hiking with people that I liked in these beautiful places did that. It created place attachment and it sort of took away that feeling of uh, these ominous, creepy mountains all around me. Um, And instead, you know, I would be like, hey, that's where I went on that awesome hike with Laura and her kids. So, you know, nature can feel really personal. It's very much based on our upbringing. There's research that shows that, um, you know, if you grew up near the ocean, that that might be something that you crave. Um, people feel really strongly about their preferences in, in nature, you know, what kind of aesthetic we like. And if you end up in a place that feels like it's not feeding you in that way, you know, you love the beach and now you're living 600 miles from the beach, that can be hard to take. But I think we can consciously develop a love for whatever nature we have access to by going out and spending time in it and appreciating it and enjoying it. 
I love that. So you, in your book, you did these love where you live experiments and you interviewed a lot of other individuals as well about their experience being rooted and having place attachment. Do you have any favorite stories that you came across in the process? Yeah, you know, and I'm always coming across new stories. Um, I just did a a Skype discussion with a class in uh, Southern Illinois and the teacher had assigned them to do love where you live experiments, basically to do something in their community that would help help them feel more connected to the community. And so most of them did kind of servicey things because that's one of the things that I discovered is when you invest in your town, you feel invested. It it makes you feel more emotionally attached because now you, you know, you kind of have a stake in it. So, you know, one of the girls in this class developed a seed library for, you know, a community group where people can come and just get free seeds and they can plant things in their community. Um, so I see that kind of story a lot and I, I love it. I love hearing about people who are trying hard to not only fall in love with their town themselves, but make themselves feel, make their towns better while they do it. Um, one of the stories that I love telling that's from the book is the story of a woman named Nancy Barton. She was a professor um, at NYU in New York City, but she had this house upstate in a tiny little town called Prattsville. And for many years, like a decade, she and her husband would go there on weekends and then they go back to New York City. And so they never really felt you know, strongly attached to the town. They didn't know that many people in the community. But when Hurricane Irene passed through, the town flooded and it was a huge mess. And she started going to the community meetings that they were holding about, you know, how do we rebuild Prattsville? And she told the story of being in a meeting where people were talking about, you know, what can we do to make Prattsville better for people. And someone said, you know what we need, you know, we need a a gathering place for teenagers and, and young people, someplace where people can come hang out. And Nancy's in this meeting and it would have been so easy for her to just not say anything. I think a lot of us really hesitate to get more deeply involved in, you know, community affairs or in, you know, charity work than we already are. But she raised her hand and said, you know, I know something about that. And she ended up getting a huge grant and buying a a derelict building on the main street in Prattsville and refurbishing it with a lot of help. And she opened the Prattsville Art Center. And now it's this great space on Prattsville's main street with an art gallery and a a studio space for them to hold art classes. There's a little coffee shop in the back where people can come in and just like hang out and grab coffee. And there was nothing like that in Prattsville before. And it only really came about just because one woman said, sure, you know, I'll do that. I'll, I'll make that happen. And I've realized that, um, you know, most of the things that I love in my town came around in a similar way. You know, a person or a few people said, why don't we do that? You know, why don't we help revitalize the old, you know, rundown movie theater? Or why don't we build this walking path here? Or why don't we start a festival or a parade? 
And I, I aspire to be a person like that. I'm not sure that I am. <laughs> um, I, you know, I wrote in the book about doing lots of love where you live experiments. And some of them were a little more community minded, you know, volunteering at places or, um, you know, I, I worked with my daughter and, and some people in the community to try and start a sidewalk chalk festival that sort of didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And I think I might be at us, you know, just in a place in my life where I don't have a ton of time to spare for that kind of stuff. Um, but I try and think about it, you know, what can I do to, to feel more a part of my town, to make it better, to kind of feel that sense of ownership for the place that I live. And I'm sort of like always on the lookout for what other people are doing in their communities. So, you know, the example of Nancy Barton is a really big one, but there's another woman that I love telling her story. Her name is Lindsay Zervocal. She lives in Toronto and she started a project called the Love Lettering Project. I think her website is loveletteringproject.com. And all she does is writes love letters to her city. Um, you know, dear Toronto, I love your swimming holes and, you know, stuff like that. She'd stick them in these envelopes and leave them around town for other people to find as a way to kind of spread this idea of place love, of, you know, finding the things about your city that you love, that make you happy to live there. And I think that's something that anyone can do. You know, anyone can do that sort of, you know, that little experiment to help them feel a little happier where they are. So it sounds like a big part of this is about noticing, noticing the good stuff and being grateful, really developing a gratitude practice around the place that you live. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great way to put it. You know, I realized that most of what we see in our towns is just perception, right? Because you may not be totally convinced about your town right now. You know, you may not be super happy there, but you probably know people who are super attached and who love it, you know, and that's been true in every city that I've ever lived in, that there are people I know in town who adore it, can't imagine living anywhere else. And there are also people in that exact same town who despise it and can't wait to leave. And some of that is, you know, as we reach different life stages, our towns serve us or don't serve us in different ways. So, you know, maybe a place that is perfect for young families is not so great for, you know, teenagers or for older people or whatever. But a lot of how we uh, how we build place attachment in our towns is simply what we're choosing to see. And so we can choose to see the rundown stuff and the stuff that's not working and the things that annoy us, we can complain, or we can choose to focus on what our town is doing right, what makes us happy. Um, someone I met recently described it as um, LBOH, little bits of happiness. <laughs> and, you know, she was on the lookout for that all the time, just little tiny things that made her happy, you know, whether it's like a stand of daffodils that are blooming or a neighbor that said hi or, you know, a hiking trail that you just discovered. We can find those little bits of happiness in our town and it can truly affect how we feel about where we live. And that in turn 
uh, vastly affects simply our levels of well-being and our contentment with our lives. It almost makes me think a little bit about visiting a new restaurant. And I think about my favorite dining experiences, and almost all of them are correlated with happiness. So I went in to the experience in a good mood. I had company that I enjoyed, and the emotional experience around it impacted me almost as much, if not more, than the quality of the food. So I I think that the food tasted a lot better when I was in good company and when I was in good spirits, um, which seems a little bit like this. So the the town looks so much better if you are in in a better emotional place to experience it and if you're finding and surrounding yourselves with people who are meaningful to you and people who you are connected to. Right. I love that example of the restaurant because think of the times when you've eaten on a restaurant's like patio in the sunshine, you know, if you can like get that outside table and you're like people watching, it almost doesn't matter what the food is. <laughs> you know, you are going to have a good experience just because you're like it you are having an experience and and that it feels good. Yeah, it feels good and it makes you happy. Um, So yeah, that's a lot like what happens in towns when we create and seek out positive experiences and people that we can, you know, build relationships with. It makes everything better, even if the reality of the town, you know, some towns really struggle, some towns are depressed, some towns are economically depressed. And, you know, that's just the reality of the town. But even in those places, there are people who love it there. And, you know, why do they love it? Because this is where they have meaning. This is where their family is. This is where they've had, you know, really great life experiences. And you can create that too. You just have to sort of work for it. That makes me think about the story of Gertie in your book, which I won't make you go into today. Just one more reason to read the book, I guess. But um, (laughs) I was really inspired by there was a couple characters in your book who live in places which most of us would consider to be undesirable, but yet they live this really full, beautiful life in those places. Right. You know, that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of us are still sort of looking for that magic bullet place, you know, that if we just end up in the right place with low cost of living and good schools and a great housing stock and whatever that, you know, we will be happy. And certainly I will be the first one to say that place matters and we should be really thoughtful about choosing where to live when we can. Um, you know, another, uh, place expert that I really admire, Catherine Laughlin, describes this as a marriage, you know, and so you don't get married until you've dated and you're pretty sure that this is going to work out. But even when you've been really careful and thoughtful about where you live, chances are good. You're going to move someplace. It's going to be disappointing. Maybe people aren't as friendly as you thought. And you're going to start to wonder, why did we end up here? And then you're going to start to wonder, where should we go next? You know, like, there is some place better out there and we just need to find it. And that was what I was doing all the time. You know, I, I wouldn't have been in a place for more than a few months before I start thinking about, okay, you know, where are we going next? There's something about this town that's annoying. It's hot or there's traffic or whatever. And so we're just going to like pack it in and we're going to, we're going to move on to the next place. And I realized, you know, as I wrote, this is where you belong. And as I researched place attachment, that 
there is no perfect place, that every place has its troubles and its struggles, but that we can be genuinely happy and attached even to really rough places. Um, and, and I think that's actually really hopeful. You know, um, I know I've met a lot of military families who move wherever they are sent and they're not always incredibly desirable places. I know a lot of families who just move around a lot for jobs and, you know, may not end up in the dream location. And that can be really disheartening. And sometimes people feel like they're putting their lives on hold until they can move again. You know, yes, we're here for three years, but we're not really going to meet anyone. We're not going to get involved. We're just sort of like waiting it out. And I think that's the wrong approach. I think that's too long to say, eh, you know, I'm not going to be happy for three years while I'm here in upstate New York or whatever. You know, we should actively seek out joy in whatever whatever community we happen to end up in. And if it is one of those kind of rough around the edges communities, maybe the way you do that is by consciously trying to make it better. Um, one of the people I interviewed for the book was a woman named Emily Doley. And she and her sister lived in Philadelphia in a blighted neighborhood that after the economic crisis was really struggling, high vacancy rates, high crime rates, but they couldn't move because, you know, they were in a house and they were underwater. And so their solution was to change the neighborhood. And I don't think they set out to say, we're going to change the neighborhood. But what they said is, you know, we're going to make this neighborhood look better. They got Home Depot and different places to donate plants and gardening tools. And they got together with their neighbors and taught them how to make planters. And suddenly their neighbors started getting the spirit of this, you know, like they saw how just a few flowers or a few plants could change the look of their street. And that kind of trickled over into doing that in the vacant lots and making the vacant lots beautiful community gardens. And suddenly neighbors who hadn't really been talking to each other before are talking and they have a sense of ownership about where they live because they worked hard to make it look nice and they're not going to let people, you know, sell drugs on the street corner or whatever. So I think these very small things can have an outsized effect on where we live plus how we feel about where we live. Thank you. That's really insightful. And I feel like I have so much to think on and I'm really excited about the possibilities of developing place attachment in a more intentional way. And I think that it did just sort of happen to us when we lived in Dallas because we did have a lot of major life transitions, but I'm interested to see the new ways that I can do it more purposefully. So thank you so much for this, Melody. You're welcome. Thank you, Danae. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have questions or comments and you want to leave those in the show notes, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 106. If you want to learn more about Melody, you can visit her at MelodyWarnick.com. And I'll put the link to that and to her book in the show notes. But if you want to talk with her and pick her brain, she's going to be co-hosting with me this month in the focus group. You can go to SimpleFamilies.com forward slash May to get signed up for that. Thank you so much for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. When you have a second, if you could please go to iTunes and leave a quick rating or review, I would be so grateful. Have a good one.